Welcome to our weekly Catechism class. This lesson is a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help us to learn Christian doctrine with a warm and a practical application. Every lesson has an accompanying study guide. The web link to find that guide is in the episode notes. Now, let's start the class and learn the lessons. Welcome to our Catechism class. In this class, we're going to be looking at Lord's Day 3, questions 7 to 8 in the Heidelberg Catechism. Start with question 7, where the Catechist asks, From where then did man's depraved nature come? The answer we must give is from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. For there our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. So in this class we are going to look at the fall of man and the ongoing consequences that have resulted from it. In our last catechism class, we learned that mankind wasn't made sinful, that we were created in the image of God, and we explored what that means. But in Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote, in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 29, Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. So what happened to make creatures made with such dignity, the very pinnacle of God's creative work, into miserable, guilty sinners, responsible for destruction and rape and war and murder and theft and slavery. God had made us perfect, made us pleasing to him and made to bring him glory. But there was a test, a simple enough matter. He planted a tree. It was known as the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis 2 and verse 6. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Well, it's hard to get that one wrong. After all, there was only one rule in paradise. Don't go near that tree. Don't touch it. Don't eat the fruit of it. If you do, it's all over for you. But Adam and Eve couldn't even keep that one simple rule. They failed the obedience test. They ate the fruit of the tree, and they fell from God's favour. Let's see it in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, 
she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. With that one single sin, paradise was ruined, and Eden was forbidden. Sin entered into mankind's experience. They have disobeyed God. They have cast doubt upon his word. They have believed the lies of the serpent rather than the word of God. Genesis 3 and verse 1 to 4. Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. It was a blatant lie, and lying is sin, and the man and the woman fell for the lie. But not only did sin enter into mankind's experience, but fear entered into the world. Genesis 3 and verse 9, The Lord God called unto Adam and said to him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And then the blame game began. When confronted by God about their disobedience, Adam blamed God for giving him the woman and blamed the woman for giving him the fruit of the tree, and Eve then blamed the serpent. Genesis 3 and verse 12 to 13, the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Pain and sickness began. Specifically for the woman, childbearing would be sore, the first indication of pain in the world. Genesis 3 and 16, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children. And labour and toil and sweat entered into the world. Being a gardener, tending the Garden of Eden was no great inconvenience for Adam. In fact, it would have been a pleasure. But now, after the fall, all that has changed forever. Being a gardener became back-breaking work. Every time you stoop to pull a weed, think of Adam and Eve. Think of their disobedience. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17. And unto Adam he said, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. Life, you see, became really hard. I once knew an old Christian man, a funeral director, now gone to glory, who often stood at the coffin with a newly widowed woman and put his arm on her shoulders and said, Life has wearied him. Life wearies us all. Here's why. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread 
till thy return unto the ground, for out of it thou wast taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thy return. And death entered into the world. Genesis 3 and 19. Remember that last phrase of that verse. For dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Paul expressed this succinctly in Romans. He wrote, The wages of sin is death. So with Adam's disobedience, sin entered into our experience. Fear entered into the world. We began blaming other people. Sin and pain and sickness are all tied up together. Labour and toil and sweat and the hardness and difficulties of life and death, the ultimate reality for all of us. And yet one other effect is that all of creation was destroyed. Romans 8 and verse 22 to 23 tells us that we know the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together. Everything is damaged. Everything is broken. Everything is dying. And all these terrible consequences are compounded by what happened at the end of Genesis 3. Remember that the point of humanity is that we were created to bring glory to our Creator and to have fellowship with Him and to enjoy Him forever and ever. But with the fall, that fellowship was broken and mankind became totally pointless, glorifying only Himself in His pointless, unsatisfactory existence. And so for the sinner, for Adam and Eve, a barrier is placed between God and man. Genesis chapter 3, reading from verse 23. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. But you might be asking, but all that happened thousands of years ago. What's that got to do with me? Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 helps us. Paul writes there, Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Now before we go any further with this, let's be sure about one thing. Adam and Eve are historical. They are our historical first parents. The story of the Garden of Eden and the fall of man is not a myth, as some of the liberal commentators will want to tell you. It is a true story. Nor is it symbolic. 
I know that there are some who will say that Adam is symbolic of the whole human race, that we are all Adam to some extent, and thus Adam's experience is my experience. None of those theories are true. And all of those theories fall far short of the biblical teaching on the fall of man. Adam and Eve were real people who really did fail the test. Because of that, you and me are related to Adam. And aren't we so like our parent? We've inherited the characteristics of Adam. We've inherited his sinful nature. How could that happen? One old Christian teacher, Augustine of Hippo, proposed a theory that had come to be known as seminal representation. His theory stems from how he translated Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. The verse says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so sin passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Augustine translated that last clause, in whom all sinned. It's a perfectly legitimate translation. Augustine felt that our original inborn sinfulness could best be explained if everyone is seen as being literally and genetically in the loins of Adam. The guilt of Adam was justly charged because humanity was physically present when Adam committed the sin. In Adam's sin, all people have actually sinned. There's biblical evidence for this too. For Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 22, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. In Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 9 to 10, we find another precedent for this theory. There it's written, And as I may so say, Levi also who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. As the Catechist teaches us, For there our nature became so corrupt, because Adam has sinned, we all have sinned, and we all come short of God's righteous standards. But wait, you may say, I'm actually a good person. Now, I know I'm a bit difficult at times, and I know that sometimes I can get to be a bit self-centred, and I know that I have made mistakes over my lifetime, but I'm really not that bad, am I? How often do we hear people saying things like that? Even a professed Christian once told me that she believed that, I quote, we are all good at heart. But we're not, are we? The sinful nature that we have inherited from our father Adam is often described as total depravity. It's not that we are as utterly sinful as we can possibly be. We are not murderers or rapists or embezzlers or thieves, perhaps not, but we are totally depraved because every part of our lives are affected by sin. Our mind, our will, our emotions, everything within us is sinful. But hold on, aren't little babies born innocent? No, certainly not. Our instructor reminds us that we are not just born in sin, we are actually conceived in sin, and that's important, for it establishes and confirms our belief in the value of human life from conception 
to death. The psalmist David, when confessing his sin in Psalm 51, writes, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We are sinners. We are lost and condemned and far away from God, living lives that are so far out of God's purposes that we can never gain any satisfaction from these broken lives. That leaves us to ask one final question. How can I fix this serious problem? Because up to now we've had nothing in this catechism class but bad news. And there's more bad news too. There is nothing we can do to improve our condition. Let's go back to the wording of the catechism. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Question 8. And the answer is yes. We are so corrupt. When God drove Adam and Eve from paradise, from his garden and from his presence, he sealed the gates so that they could never, ever re-enter it. We can try, of course, and many do. We try religion and we try self-improvement classes. And on a modern note, they may even try some form of conversion therapy. None of those things will work, though. They are futile. But thankfully the catechist doesn't leave us in such despair. There is hope for us. Not within us, not in anything we do, but there is hope in Christ. When he asks... But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? The full answer is yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. And there is the hope for us. There is only one way to have our sins dealt with. There is only one way to have the evil influence of our perverse human nature corrected, and that is through the regeneration of our spirit. That is the work of the Holy Ghost within us. Just as we were made in the image of God, we must be remade in that image, so that God's image in us is repaired and restored. The Lord Jesus talked about this as being born again. John chapter 3 There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the scriptures teach us that we are created in the image of God, but that because of Adam's fall, God's image in us has been defiled and marred and distorted by sin. Our original state of innocence has been lost, 
and were guilty before God under the broken law. So we need to be created all over again. We need to be new creations, born from above. And that is what God does for us when he regenerates our souls through the application of God's word by the Holy Spirit, who makes us aware of our sins and inclines us to repent of those sins and to rest in Christ's finished work on the cross. If you've enjoyed this catechism class, why not join in? There's a Heidelberg Catechism discussion group on Facebook and you'd be welcome to join and leave any comments that you would like to leave. Meanwhile, listen to our other podcasts. Listen for Table Talk. We're finishing our eschatology series with the next edition. And listen to our history podcasts also and learn something more about church history. I'm Bob McAvoy, and you've been listening to the Semper Reformata podcast. <laughs>